right, you may be seated, and good morning. Go ahead and take your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 26. As you're turning there this morning, Brother Bill, I just want to tell you, I love you. You're my brother. Brother Bill is one of my best friends in life. Thankful for you, man. And also just want to say uh, thanks to my church family. Appreciate you guys praying. For me and my family, just with my dad having some heart issues, and so know that it it means a lot. So, by the grace of God, I'll preach today. Uh, let's pray together. Well, Father, my heart definitely overflows uh, with joy and thanksgiving this morning. God, your, your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your care, your compassion for us. Lord, I'm so sinful, so unworthy. You're so forgiving. So thank you for rescuing my soul from the pit of hell. And Lord, I know I speak and pray on behalf of your people this morning. We're thankful for the gift of salvation, the gift of your grace in Christ. And we're thankful, God, just how you take care of us each and every day. Just the passage that Brother Bill read this morning. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We just need to look to you. God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help in our times of need. And so, God, we, we come before you once again. We come to your word because there's nowhere else that we could go. And we pray, God, that you would speak this morning. We pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts as your people. And, God, we pray that you would grant salvation there be one this morning that is still blind to the truth, still lost in sin, God, would you be gracious to open up their eyes, spiritually speaking, to see Christ, to see their sin for what it is, and to see their need for the cross, just what we sung, that to the cross we cling, that today would be the day of salvation. A lost soul. So, God, speak through your word today. And it is in the wonderful, powerful name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. The message today is entitled simply, I think I've used this title before uh, Do You See Clearly? Do You See Clearly? I think I've used this illustration before, but I remember very vividly. You know, if you can think back to your childhood, for us old folks, 
There, there's things that you just think about from time to time. And one of those things for me was when I was in the sixth grade and I was squinting at the board, the old boards, the chalkboards back in the day. And I remember my teachers, I believe it was Miss Williams and Miss Hare telling my parents that I think Eric is struggling to see because <laughs> I was squinting and going to the eye doctor for the first time and getting glasses. And I remember walking out and I saw the trees and I actually saw the leaves and I was like, wow, I can see. <laughs> this is amazing. You know, for all this time, I had just gotten used to the fuzziness and the, the blurriness and I didn't realize what all I had been missing out on, uh, being able to see physically. And this morning, we're going to see how Jesus does indeed heal a man that was, was fully blind, couldn't see at all, you know, physically speaking. And Jesus grants him 100% clear vision. And also my aim today is not only to show the personal care and compassion of Jesus as he touches this man and meets this physical need that he has, but I want you to see this morning there's a greater need than physical vision. And it's that we need Jesus to open up our eyes, spiritually speaking. The reality of our soul, the reality of sin, the reality of death, the reality of eternity. Guys, this is not our home. But each one of us has a soul that will indeed live forever, either in the glories of heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or suffering the wrath and judgment of God and the torments of hell. So the words that I share with you this morning these words of God are the words of life. We're talking about eternity. So let's read from Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26, and then we'll unpack this together. And they, talking about Jesus and the disciples here, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, when we think about Mark's gospel, just in way of review very quickly, we've seen Jesus heal many. And I'm sure there were thousands of others that he healed that we don't have a record of, as God ordained for us to have what we have in the Holy Scriptures. And Jesus healed a deaf man, a mute man. A woman with an issue or hemorrhage of blood, a man with a withered hand, a paralytic man, a, a leper, a, a man that was filled with demons, a little girl that was dead. 
Jairus' daughter that Jesus brought back to life. But this is the first time here in the Gospel of Mark we see Jesus healing a blind man. And as we unpack this story, if your heart is anything like mine, it's so easy to read this and we can kind of be maybe comfortable or complacent or not just realize the power of God of the healings that took place by the hand of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There was a divine purpose in every single miracle that Jesus performed. You know, Mandy, I asked you this week about the gentleman's name. I know Mandy and uh, our kids run into Mr. Richard a lot, uh, who is a, a man who is deaf that works there or has worked at Publix. I'm not even sure anymore. And so some of you guys may you know, know Mr. Richard, but it would be like him being able to hear of just the miraculous nature of that and and so as we see Jesus healing this blind man, please don't miss the power of God, the love of God that's being manifested here. So look back at verse 22, the setting, the disciples, they've now come to Bethsaida. They, they were on another boat trip from one part of the Sea of Galilee to the other part. Bethsaida was the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus had taken them to a lot of Gentile areas, and now Bethsaida was more of a, a Jewish village. It was known as the House of the Fisher. It was a fishing village. It was a good place to make a living as a fisherman. This was actually the hometown of Peter and Andrew and Philip. So you talk about significance, three of uh, the disciples, three of the, the 12 apostles. This was their hometown. This was near where Jesus had fed the 5,000 Jews not too many months before. Jesus had performed many, many miracles here in Bethsaida. Now, Jesus had just fed thousands of Gentiles there in Magdala. When you go back a little bit earlier in Mark chapter 8, also in Mark 8, we see that the Pharisees had once again rejected Jesus. They had wanted a sign. It even says that they had argued with Jesus. So instead of submitting to and following these Jewish religious leaders, we're like, no, Jesus, we, we don't want you. If you don't do it the way we want things to be done, we're not going to follow you. We don't believe that you're the Messiah. And so there was this spiritual blindness that guys it was permanent sadly they had rejected the way of salvation and then with the disciples in this boat ride to Bethsaida if you remember Jesus had told them beware of the bread the leaven of the Pharisees and they got to thinking oh we actually forgot to bring bread and they were focused on this physical bread but Jesus was trying to teach them about spiritual food for their eyes to be opened to the truth, to be able to see things clearly. And at this point in time, guys, the disciples were kind of like the blind man in this passage. When Jesus first touches him and he sees men like trees walking around, the disciples, things were still pretty fuzzy. 
still pretty unclear for them. And maybe you're like that today, right? You've heard the claims of Jesus. You've heard many times the words of life, the truth of the Bible, but maybe it's still fuzzy. It's still unclear. I look back at verse 22. So we know the location here, and it goes on to say that some people, we don't know exactly who, but some people here in Bethsaida, they bring to Jesus a blind man. Again, we don't know all the details. Who was this man? But we know they loved him enough. They brought him to Jesus and they begged Jesus to touch him. Because again, Jesus had been here before. They knew who Jesus was. They knew that he had the power to heal. And they loved this man enough to bring him to Jesus. And they wanted healing. They were desperate. You know, as I was studying this passage... I mean, we have all kinds of wonderful medical and technology, um, medical technology today, and our doctors and nurses, medical people can do all kinds of amazing things. But they can't open up the eyes of the blind. Only God can do that. One of the things that they would try in the first century, they would mix rooster blood with honey, and they would smear it on the eyes of someone, thinking that this was going to provide healing. Well, obviously, it didn't work. Maybe that hadn't happened with this man. We just don't know what all things have been tried. All we know is that he was blind, and they wanted their friend to be able to see again. I thought about Mark 6, 56, where it talks about Jesus, how he just ministered to the outcast. I'll just read it. Wherever he came, Jesus, in the villages, the cities, the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces you know, before him, and they implored him. I mean, just think about this, of people desperate, and they're coming before Christ, and they're laying the needy, the outcast, the untouchable, the sick before him, that they might even touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. They were so desperate. If we can just touch the hem of his garment like the woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus was indeed a compassionate Savior. And, and I ask you this morning, are you that desperate? Are you that needy? For Christ, spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about physical needs. Yes, he meets our physical needs. But do you see your need for a Savior this morning? Verse 23, back in Mark 8, it says Jesus takes this blind man by the hand. So again, we see the personal care of Jesus. And he, he takes him by the hand and he actually leads him out of the village. He leads him away from the crowd. And, and then Jesus does something interesting. We saw him do this before in Mark 7 with the deaf man. But he spits on his eyes. Now it probably means he spit in his hands and then he rubs on his eyes and he lays his hands on him and he asked him do you see anything and you may be wondering why would Jesus do that that's kind of weird that's kind of different you know, I wouldn't want somebody spitting in my eyes well in the first century that was kind of commonplace for someone that supposedly had miracle healing power to use their spittle to use their spit uh, the, the text doesn't specifically tell us 
of why Jesus does this, but on two different occasions we've seen now, and I think there's another occasion in the Gospels, where Jesus uses his spit as a part of the healing process. We'll just have to leave it at that. But when you think about Jesus touching this blind man, we don't have time this morning, but you could go to the Gospel of John in John chapter 9. The blind were seen to be cursed of God. They were seen to be untouchable. If you remember the blind man in John 9, the disciples even asked Jesus, well, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? But Jesus said, well, no. It was so that the, he's born, he was born blind so that the power of God, the glory of God, would be manifested for everyone to see. And so most people would not touch the blind. They wouldn't be around them. The blind were not allowed in the synagogues, the Jewish places of worship. They definitely wouldn't, would not have been loved on by the Pharisees, these religious leaders. But Jesus treats this man completely different, doesn't he? He's touching him. He takes him away from the crowd. He's speaking to him. And ultimately, he's healing this man. Other reasons why he took him away from the village, the text doesn't specifically say, but not only was it his personal care, but again, we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is not about the crowds. Okay? He's not about false worship. That's not why he's doing what he's doing. And I think we're going to see in this passage, we'll unpack this as we go, Jesus is teaching the disciples something bigger here about the kingdom. And one other thing I want to mention, go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Just a short little cross reference here. Verses 20 through 22. When we think about Bethsaida and Jesus being here, Jesus taking this man away from the village, away from the city, away from the crowd... Look at Matthew 11, 20 through 22. Remember, I told you, Jesus had done a lot already in this city. Verse 20. Then he, talking about Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Guys, Bethsaida had rejected Christ as the Messiah. And Jesus was done there. Sad. May that not be true of Okeechobee. May that not be true of Everglades Baptist Church. We get so comfortable, we get so complacent, so focused on all kinds of other things that we miss the greatest treasure right before us, the love and truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus was done with Bethsaida. Now, he still was showing love and compassion to this individual. But they had rejected their king, their Messiah. 
and they were cursed of God. Pretty powerful, pretty sobering passage there in Matthew 11. All right, let's go back to Mark 8. Moving on into the story. Not only did Jesus spit on the man, we talked about that, but then he lays his hands on him. And then he does something else unusual in that he asks the man a question. Look there at the text, the end of verse 23. Do you see anything? I mean, normally, Jesus, when he was healing someone, there, there was some authority and command. There, there normally wasn't a question that was being asked. And Jesus normally didn't heal in stages. I believe this is the only time where we see Jesus kind of healing in this progressive way. And by the way, let me say on the front end, it's not because Jesus lacked power. It wasn't, oh, I didn't quite have enough power this time, the first time I touched him, so I'll have to touch him again, okay? So if you're thinking that, get that out of your mind. That's not what the text is getting at, but we'll unpack here in a little bit. But just think about that. Jesus asked him a question. Do you see anything? And again, I think there's something bigger that's going on. Jesus is teaching his disciples because they're right there. Do you really see who I am? Are you seeing clearly? And I ask you the same thing this morning. Are you listening? Do you really see who Jesus is? That he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Do you see this morning, spiritually speaking? Now, this, these next three verses, this is amazing. 23 through 25, when you dig into this text, there are seven different Greek words that are used in eight different instances dealing with seeing or sight. So there's eight different references in three verses on seeing, on sight, and Jesus uses seven different Greek words to explain this particular miracle. And by the way, this miracle is not found in any other gospel, only in the Gospel of Mark. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. This passage really is about seeing clearly. So let's walk through these real quick. Into verse 23, he asked the question, do you see anything? The verb there, see, is blipo. Are you aware of anything? That's what he's getting at. That's what that Greek verb means there. Do you see? Verse 24, the man then looks up. The word there is anablipo. So it's a different Greek word. It means to direct one's vision upward. The man then says, I see people. That's actually the Greek word blipo. He's aware of of people, okay? Christ has opened his eyes to the point where he's aware that the disciples are there, that there are people around him. Verse 24, it goes on to say, but they look, there's another verb, like trees walking. That's the Greek word hurrah. It means to pay attention to. So it's a completely different Greek word. They look 
like trees walking. Verse 25. Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again. He opens his eyes. That's dia blepo. It means to be able to distinguish clearly. So now he opens his eyes, not only to see that there's people, but to see everything clearly. Kind of like in the sixth grade when I got those glasses and I was able to see everything clearly. 2020 vision. Which as I've gotten older, my eyes are not what they once were. Now I can't even see stuff close up, but that's a whole different story. Going on from there, verse 25. So he opens his eyes and then his sight was restored. That's the word apocarthiptomai, if I'm saying that correctly, which means to be restored. Goes on to say in verse 25, he saw, that means emblepo, to look closely or directly at everything clearly, another Greek word, telagos, which means to see clearly, not only to see clearly, but to see clearly at a distance. 100% crystal clear clarity with his vision. I just thought that was amazing. Eight different instances, seven different Greek words. Jesus is making this as clear as possible this passage is about seeing Jesus clearly. That's what has to happen with these disciples. They can't be fuzzy. They can't be unclear. It can't be blurry of who Jesus is. And the next time I preach, you're going to see Peter gets it. When you look at verse 29, Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Savior, you're the Messiah, you're the Rescuer, you're the Lord, you're the Son of God, and we get it by your grace, through the power of your Spirit, through the truth of your Word, and we're going to follow you all of our days. And guys, we know historically these disciples were willing to give their very life's blood for the truth. Do you see clearly this morning? Do you really see who Jesus is? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he your savior? Have you repented of your sins and turned to him and trusted in him in every area of your life? Now, verse 26. It says, Jesus sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Remember what I told you? Jesus was done with Bethsaida. Jesus had lovingly healed this man. He could completely see, physically speaking. And Jesus sends him home, but not back through the village of Bethsaida. So let's end with some application. Big deal, so what? Pastor Eric, we've seen Jesus heal. We know he has the power to heal. What does that mean for us today? Well, number one, I hope you're able to see from this text, Jesus is a compassionate Savior. 
Jesus is very loving and very kind to this man. Jesus does have power to heal. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I know you can cast your cares and burdens upon Jesus because he cares for you. Jesus is compassionate. When I think about our grief share class on Monday nights, the whole point of that class is for people to know that there's a God who loves, there's a God who cares, and there's a God who will save them in the midst of their hurts and their struggles. And by the way, if our Lord and Savior is compassionate, we've said this many times, what does that mean for us as his followers? Are we loving? Are we caring? Are we compassionate? Pastor Doug, that's one of the things I hate about myself the most, is sometimes I can be so compassionate towards people. That's sad, guys. And every time I see that in my heart, I should repent. Lord, please forgive me and change my heart. That's not okay. I'm speaking for me. You've got to think about where you're at. That's not okay. We should be the most compassionate people on earth as Christians. Now, not only is Jesus compassionate, but number two, Jesus really is the Messiah. That's the point of the passage, guys. When you go back to Mark 7 and you see Jesus healing the, the deaf man and then you see the interaction with the Pharisees and the interaction with the disciples and now Jesus providing sight to this particular man that was blind. The whole point that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples is he is the Messiah. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 29. Pastor Doug, I think we're going to have to start moving the, the podium. We're uh, <laughs> direct sunshine today. Isaiah chapter 29, 17 through 19. You know, the whole, the book of Isaiah, as with the prophets, they're, part of their role, part of their responsibility is to point us forward to the Messiah, the coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you go to Isaiah 29, 17 through 19, I just want you to see, there, we're going to look at a couple references and how what Jesus is doing in Mark 8 is a fulfillment of these scriptures. Isaiah 29, 17 through 19. Is it not a very little while until Lebanon? And when I looked up Lebanon, it was this part of the promised land. It was known for its forest. It was known for its beautiful mountains. It was you know, part of the promised land. But it says, until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. God has a way of turning things upside down, so to speak. The kingdom of God. Verse 18. Look at what it says will happen. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. What Jesus is doing there in Mark 8 is the ushering in of the kingdom. This new covenant, the kingdom of God. Look at Isaiah 35, verse 5. Again, another passage. We don't have time to read all of Isaiah 35, but it's talking about the Messiah, his coming kingdom. Verse 30, chapter 35, verse 5 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What was Jesus doing, guys? He was opening the eyes of the blind. 
he was opening the ears of the deaf. There's a lot of other places we could go. I just I want you to see the main thrust of this passage for the disciples to get was Jesus was the Messiah. All right, number three. Another thing in this passage, when you go back to Mark 8, it's a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. We, we, we've come to the end of the first two years of his public ministry. Jesus is really turning the corner. Not that he hadn't before, but he's really going to spend a lot of time in the private ministry with the disciples. He's training them. He's equipping them. He's getting them ready for his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So there was a public ministry of Jesus. But then there was this private teaching, equipping ministry with these 12. And Jesus is doing that in this passage. And ultimately, that, that's going to lead to the Passion Week, the last week of the life of Jesus, of his death, burial, and resurrection when he's crucified. And then finally, the fourth thing I want you to see this morning, sight only comes from Jesus. Physical sight only comes from Jesus. Spiritual sight only comes from Jesus. Guys, if you're able to see me this morning, that's a gift of God's grace. Don't take your physical sight for granted. If you're able to hear me this morning, that's a gift of God's grace. Spiritually, if you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's a gift of God's grace. That's not a work of man. That's not something that you conjured up on your own. That was God gripping your heart, convicting your heart, regenerating your heart through His Word, His Spirit, and giving you a new heart. Opening your eyes, spiritually speaking, to His truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 that Doug, Pastor Doug read earlier. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those that are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And we don't have time, but if you go back to Matthew 13, <clears throat> 13 through 17, one of the reasons Jesus taught with parables, it was to show the blindness of the people, specifically the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Their hearts were hard. They didn't get it. They didn't see who Jesus was. And you want to know why the disciples, the apostles got it? Because Jesus took them to the side and he privately taught them and he opened up their eyes, spiritually speaking, to see the truth. Look at Mark 8, 17 and 18. On their boat ride over before they got to Bethsaida, Jesus says to the disciples, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? And down in verse 21, do you not yet understand? And it was only by the grace of Jesus that the disciples were going to get it. So this morning, if you, if you get it, you understand who gets all the glory. It's Jesus. It's God.
Now, this healing being gradual or progressive, the text doesn't specifically say why Jesus heals this man in these two steps. Why he asked him a question, do you see anything? But I really think with what Jesus is doing here with the disciples, he wasn't just asking this blind man, do you see anything? He really was asking the disciples, do you get it? Do you see? Do you really understand who I am? Because, I mean, the disciples to some extent did get it at this point, right? I mean, they had left everything and they were following Jesus for these couple of years. So let's, let's state that. There, there was some understanding that Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew, Matthew, these guys had at this point. Because they were following Jesus. But did they fully understand who Jesus was? They didn't. Even Peter, when he says the great thing there in verse 29, you are the Christ. Not too long after, he basically tells Jesus, well, Jesus, you're kind of wrong on this and you're not going to actually die. And Jesus has to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Here's the point. For those of us that are in the faith, believers, we're progressively being sanctified. We're slowly, by the grace of God, hopefully maturing in the faith, right? Do you understand everything this morning? If you do, I want to sit down with you right after and let's have a cup of coffee and let's talk. Because there's still so much I don't understand. I get I am still very immature in the faith in a lot of different ways. But by the grace of God, I'm still growing. I need God to continue to open up my eyes to see his truth clearly. And if, if you just take some time and really think about how God has done that, if you've been a Christian for a while now, think about where you were at five years ago, ten years ago. 20 years ago. Pastor Doug, when I think about when God saved me when I was 12, I didn't understand much. But I knew that Jesus was the Christ and I was all in and I was following him. Now what all that meant, I was pretty limited. But by the grace of God, he's matured me in the faith. John MacArthur put it this way. It's no coincidence that the healing of a physical blind man immediately followed the demonstration of permanent spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and the temporal spiritual blindness by the disciples. Jesus must give us the eyes of faith. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, remember that. Jesus must give us the eyes of faith. The ability to see, both physically and spiritually speaking, is a gift of God. It is not of human ability. Unbeliever, I would exhort you to pray today for Jesus to open up your eyes to see him for who he is. To rescue you from your sin. Anyone who comes to him, he will by no means cast out. But you must repent. Turn from your sin and look to Christ this morning. Believer, I exhort you to keep going in the word. Keep going to the Lord in prayer. 
you probably have things in your life right now that are really hard and, and you're like, Pastor Eric, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I'm struggling. Why am I having to go through this? What's God trying to teach me through this? Or maybe you're wrestling through a difficult passage. I mean, whatever it is, just keep going before the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. His word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. And by his grace, through his spirit, through the truth of his word, you'll get what you get when you need to get it. That's good North Carolinian right there. You'll get what you get when you need to get it. God knows what's best. You've got to trust him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the clarity of your word. God, you have spoken. Your word is the truth. You sanctify us through the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would take now the gospel seeds that have been planted and watered this morning. And God, you would bring the increase in the hearts and the minds of your people. And that God, you would grant salvation. To any that are still lost and dead in sin. God, would you help us this morning to see, to understand who you are clearly. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, let's continue to worship uh, through song. If everyone will please stand. Our music team will come up and uh, lead us in song. <laughs>